This episode of the SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud Podcast features Joan Warner, Managing Editor for Finance from Oxford Economics Thought Leadership, Pat Kelleher, CAO Vivin Smart Homes, and Todd McKelleton, CFO of SAP North America, recorded live on November 11, 2017. Before we begin, uh, just a couple things we wanted to share with you just to provide some, some broader context uh, at a macro level. Um, we all know that um, for many of our customers, a decision to move in the cloud is, is not a, a matter of, of how, it's a matter of when. Uh, and shifts to, to running applications and key business processes in the cloud is, is moving to be a very in, imminent uh, process for um, a lot of our customers. But we also seem to for, for some time need to be reminded about all the various business outcomes um, that we look to drive and we look to um, support as we make that shift to the cloud and how they relate to uh, their um, corresponding um, compelling IT events. Improve customer interactions. It's really all about how you get closer to those existing customers and how you retain them. To be able to do this, this requires a 360 degree view of the customer's relationship um, from all the different applications that that customer is, is using. Uh, and that also requires a lot of data to be able to do that. Um, and to be able to do that moving forward, a lot of companies that we work with need to start uh, developing um, those applications and those interfaces via mobile. Um, so you always want to th start thinking about um, developing a development platform that uh, leverages mobile, but also that integrates with your core applications. Phil's revolution. Um, this is really all about how you offset the next wave of automation. And this really gets into the notion of, of building uh, intellectual capital uh, within your enterprise and how you, um, um, you know, uh, kick off the revolution around your, your assets, your, your employees focused on core competencies and value-added um, capabilities. Um, in the area of SAP, uh, we, we, we tend to find that a lot of our uh, customers' in-house expertise on SAP is likely not current. Um, they tend to be operating uh, several legacy applications that um, uh, could be innovated, could be migrated and, and um, migrated to innovative new platforms. Um, but, uh, but sometimes the depth of your application customizations and personalizations that you may have uh, will forever set you years behind on, you know, on staying up, update and, and current on that release schedule. And then lastly, uh, it's really all about how you um, uh, utilize your digital assets more, uh, more effectively. This ultimately becomes a catalyst for how you coalesce all of your data across all of your various uh, lines of business, businesses. Um, and then you, you look to implement uh, an environment for real-time analytics. Um, so all this really comes back to um, leveraging some of that shelfware that you have and figure out a strategy for, um, for making use of the, um, uh, unused IT assets. Uh, so these, again, these are what we tend to hear from all the analysts, whether it be uh, Oxford, Gartner, IDC, um, Forrester. They're all saying a lot of the same things, and they all have uh, corresponding IT events that uh, may be uh, enabling or uh, in inhibiting, um, you know, those various uh, business outcomes. So with that, I'll shift it over to uh, Joni Warner. Joni, take it away. Thanks so much, Ted, and good morning, good afternoon, everybody. So for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to be giving you a very high-level view 
of what we learned from our survey, how finance leadership pays off. And then I'm going to drill down into the links that we found between cloud use in the finance function and excellent corporate performance. So during March and April of this year, Oxford Economic Survey Team conducted telephone interviews with 1,500 finance executives around the world. 73% of our respondents were CFOs. Um, we also talked to President, Executive VP, Senior VP, and VP of Finance. Um, the rest included controllers and heads of treasury, heads of accounting, heads of FP&A, CAEs, and other top executives of the finance function. We also um, included in our sample quite a number of chief technology officers and heads of risk and compliance. Um, these executives worked in nine different industry segments, as you see here with pretty much equal representation in banking, retail, consumer products, utilities, public sector, and tech. And they hailed from four major global regions, if you combine two of these pie slices into Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So EMEA accounted for about a third of respondents and Asia for nearly another third. And altogether, we had about 30 countries in our survey. As for company size, most of our organizations had annual revenue or budget somewhere between 500 million euro and 20 billion euro, with a pretty even distribution among the tranches in between, and measured by number of employees, more than half of respondent organizations employed more than 5,000 people. So that's how big they were. So to this survey sample, we applied six criteria that we called the six traits of finance leadership. So what are these traits? These are best practices which we hypothesized would correlate with superior performance across the enterprise. And you've all been reading and hearing about many of these as trends over the last couple of years. The most important of them is that CFOs today are expected to be strategic partners with their colleagues both in the C-suite and across other business and across other lines of business in the organization. So the finance function does not sit in isolation anymore, controlling the proverbial purse strings. Um, our criteria, so for finance leadership, includes a finance function that has a strong influence beyond just finance, drives strategic growth initiatives, and collaborates regularly with other business units. A finance leader also has to be very effective at core finance processes, handle regulatory change well, and use automation to improve efficiency. When we applied all these six criteria to our survey sample, only 11.5% qualified as finance leaders. That was just 173 respondents. So these are the finance elites. Who are these organizations? So the graphic here shows where the largest groups of leaders were concentrated in terms of industry, geography, and company size. We found the most leaders in banking, which could reflect that industry's high level of regulation. Regionally, we found the biggest concentration in Asia, which reflects both overall survey distribution and the fact that in terms of countries, the most finance leaders were found in Australia, Japan, and the U.S. 
and most finance leaders were large with an annual budget or revenue between 5 billion and 20 billion euro. And guess what? We found our hypothesis to be correct. Finance leadership does indeed pay off. As a group, finance leaders are almost twice as likely as non-leaders to report bigger, bigger market share over the last year. Also as a group, which is very important, but I haven't highlighted it on this slide, finance leaders report having a tighter grip on costs. So that means when we ask them about the busy, biggest business risks facing their organization over the next couple of years, finance leaders are much less likely than non-leaders to name rising costs as a threat. What you do see highlighted here is the direct impact of finance leadership on growth and profitability. So, for example, companies with fast revenue growth are twice as likely as slower-growing companies to, to say that their finance function is using automation to improve efficiency. And fast profit margin growth is closely correlated with effective T&E management, another characteristic of finance leaders. We found that finance leaders use tools like spending analytics much more than non-leaders do, and this is also correlated with fast profit margin growth. And one of the most important things we found was that finance leaders' superior collaboration with risk management and compliance also corresponds with strong profitability. In general, we found that finance leaders are savvier about technology. We asked about the importance of various digital tools in the finance function's successful performance today and found that finance leaders are considerably more likely to be using a wide range of technologies. The differentials between leaders and non-leaders are quite significant. As you can see here, for example, 95% of finance leaders say cloud computing is critically or very important to their finance function success today compared with just 70% of non-leaders. And the more sophisticated the tools, the wider the spreads. So finance leaders seem to understand that today's emerging digital tools are tomorrow's core technologies. When we look into the future a little bit, and when we ask respondents which technologies would be important to them two years from now, we found 99% of leaders predict that cloud-based applications will be critically or very important to the finance function. But as you can see here, even for companies not in the leadership elite, the number of respondents who think cloud will be important in finance two years from now jumps quite a bit. So from 70% on the previous slide to 84% two years from now. And just to do a quick reality check, you probably all recognize this graphic, um, the rising importance of cloud technology in the finance function aligns with other results from other tech studies that we've been conducting at Oxford. And these results all seem to confirm that cloud has moved forward along this famous Gartner hype cycle curve. Um, less than two years ago, when Oxford Economics asked executives how useful their enterprises were finding cloud technology, many said that it wasn't actually meeting their expectations. And they said that they were finding it difficult to implement and kind of hard to get used to. So in other words, they were in the trough of disillusionment that Gartner says usually follows 
the peak of inflated expectations when an emerging technology starts to enter the mainstream. But our finance study and others that we're doing now suggest that the growing pains are over and cloud has moved up the slope of enlightenment to the plateau of productivity. And that's certainly true in this study for finance leaders for whom the cloud is already basically indispensable. So what is it that they find it so useful for? This slide and the next suggest that cloud isn't just helping finance function excel at its core mandate, but it's also helping leaders to do the things that make them leaders. So we asked all respondents who ranked cloud as critical to the finance function today how they use it. And as you can see here, 100% who responded this way find of finance leaders in any case, find cloud useful for driving and evaluating strategic growth initiatives. And as you remember, driving strategy is a criterion for finance leadership. But as a technology, as you see, cloud is not any slouch in other key areas of finance um, activities. So nearly all respondents who recognize its importance say that it also helps them improve efficiency across the organization optimize working capital, and optimize risk management and compliance. Another way of saying this, basically, is simply that cloud computing improves the finance function's core effectiveness. So this slide simply reflects our leader cut, that finance leaders had to excel at core finance activities. But the point, as you just saw, is that we can draw a straight, a straight line, basically, from cloud usage to excellence in areas like working capital optimization and GRC. One of the most interesting findings from our study concerned the power of collaboration. This quote that you see here is from the CFO of Airbus Defense and Space, and it echoes, echoes what we heard from pretty much all the executives we spoke to. Our study showed that collaboration between the finance function and other lines of business is correlated with better enterprise performance. We asked survey respondents which parts of the business finance typically works with at their organization and to what degree. And as you know, close collaboration outside the finance function was one of our criteria for finance leadership. Um, what we found, though, and what you can see on this slide, is that finance leaders collaborate regularly with business units where you might not expect finance executives to get deeply involved, including marketing, sales, and customer service. Um, and so when we asked respondents generally how effective collaboration with these customer-facing units is, the answer was very effective. So this may go a long way toward explaining why finance leaders are more likely to be growing their market share, because at these companies, finance is having a direct and frequent contact with customer-facing functions. So I'll just wrap up now by sharing the three main takeaways from our study. Um, we found that to join the ranks of finance leaders, CFOs should encourage closer collaboration between their function and other business functions. Um, that's going to help the finance function meet traditional goals like optimizing working capital and also meet their more strategic long-term forward-looking objectives. 
CFOs should leverage technologies like cloud and big data analytics to convert the massive volumes of information that they get into actionable insights that can in turn help the lines of business. And they should consider where automation can enhance efficiency, not just in core transactional activities, but across the business. This can free up time for everybody to pursue more value-enhancing activities. Thank you for listening. That's it for me, and I'll turn it over to Todd now. Thank you, Joni. So going on to the next slide, at SAP, our mission is to help our customers run their best. And SAP has a long 45-year history of doing this. But seven years ago, we made a decision that we wanted to become a cloud company. And over that period of time, we've invested heavily in innovation. In fact, we've invested over $50 billion in the last seven years on not only internal innovation, but acquisitions to help us realize that vision of being a leading cloud company. As you can see, we've, we've done it both with internal innovation with areas such as the release of HANA, C4C, and our IoT platform, while at the same time filling in other areas in our cloud portfolio, such as the acquisition of SuccessFactors, Ariba, Hybris, and Concur. And the outcome has been that over the last seven years, we've moved from primarily being a software company with some support services, with some support and services wrapped around it, to being a much larger and more complex company. In fact, today, our company has doubled our revenue in the past seven years, while at the same time tripling the number of customers and doubling our overall market capitalization. However, moving on to the next slide, to do this requires some significant investments in both our systems and processes. So prior to 2010, SAP had invested significantly in globalizing our functions. Areas such as legal, procurement, and finance all have a single process. So regardless whether it's an invoice being generated or a contract being generated, it's done the same way in every country in the world. And once we went ahead and globalized our functions, we then moved into a shared services environment. This shared service environment has allowed us to scale and efficiently serve our customers over time. However, even with these efficiencies, we needed to significantly do more. And to do this, we've utilized SAP's technology. And in fact, almost two-thirds of the benefit that we've got from the improved productivity in our finance function have come from our investment in technology. Since 2012, we began our journey in deploying SAP's latest technologies. First, we deployed our ERP and S4 HANA side-by-side. -side. We then moved to S4 HANA for finance. And today, we're live on S4. And these investments have allowed SAP to operate on a digital framework with real-time data and compete extremely effective in one of the most competitive marketplaces in the world. The benefits have been truly extraordinary. First, we have one source of truth, whether we're talking about HR data, sales and marketing, or finance, everybody in the company has access to the exact same data and all of that data is real-time. 
There's never a discussion where people are on different pages because there's a different set of data or it's been pulled for somewhere else. We're all on the same page. Secondly, it has significantly increased our overall finance, our overall finance productivity. We've reduced time in areas such as reconciliation and close time. But more importantly, we've ended up with much improved reporting and much stronger analytics capabilities, which can really help drive better business outcomes. And finally, we've enabled much better user interface with our Fiori user interface. As I move on to what impact has that had in North America, one of the things that you can see is over the last several years, we've significantly increased not only the size of our business, but the complexity of our business. Back in 2013, as I shared, we were primarily a software support company. We were primarily a software licensed business with a support business and some services wrapped around it. Today, we've got a very robust cloud business and we are one of the fastest growing cloud businesses in the marketplace. This has basically resulted in our finance team being able to support significantly more customers, different business models. We have business models where we're billing customers on consumption. We have business models where we're billing on transactions and we're billing on overall number of users. We've been able to accomplish all of this while keeping our finance footprint relatively constant. But more important, not only have we improved our finance team's productivity, but we also have changed the role of what our finance professionals are doing today at SAP. Our people are spending less and less time on transactional type activities and more time on being real business partners to the um, end business owners. We're playing a role such as supporting deals, doing more annual planning and forecasting, and we're also supporting the business with doing ad hoc analysis for management. The result has been we're not only do we coming up with better business outcomes, but we've also got a much more engaged and happier finance population. As we move on to the next slide, what have been the benefits to SAP by implementing S4 and moving to the cloud? One of our primary benefits have been we've got a faster close cycle. SAP is the most valuable company on the DAX 30. And not only are we the most valuable company on the DAX 30, but we're also the first one to report our earnings. This gives us an obvious advantage of spending less time every quarter preparing through the close and, and coming up with our end outcome but more importantly than being able to more quickly um, release our results, it gives us a place where we're a real leader in the market. As you can see, not only do we report early compared to our um, peers in the DAX, but when it comes to technology, we're also one of the first companies to report our results. In fact, over the last several years, we've been able to move up our earnings by five days. And that's allowed SAP to really have a leadership position when it comes to talking about results in the technology um, work or in the technology space. We're able to set the conversation. We're the first company talking about what we're seeing in the marketplace and we're not reacting to others. We believe that position of leadership is truly invaluable. And finally, I would move on to where it all comes together with SAP. 
And this is our digital boardroom. The digital boardroom is where we bring everything together. It brings together our data from sales and marketing, operation, finance, HR, and IT. In one place, we have transparency across all of our functions, and you can take a look at all of our key business, or business metrics. We have instant data-driven insights. We can answer questions ad hoc and on the fly. If somebody in a board meeting has a question about something, we can actually dive in with the data rather than asking finance to come back in a week or two weeks with the outcome. And finally, it gives us the ability to do a simulation. If someone asks, what if we do X rather than Y, we can run that in real time with our board members. But the last and probably most valuable thing is it's really simplified our boardroom processes. We've really been able to streamline our preparation process, and we're no longer using Excel and PowerPoint files, but rather we're pulling all of the data out of our SAP boardroom, leveraging all of our real-time technology, and having the latest information available. So with that, I will turn it over to Pat. Uh, thank you, Todd. Um, so today, appreciate everybody joining. Uh, and uh, today what I wanted to talk a little bit about is um, Vivint Smart, Home, Smart Homes process that we went through, uh, really some of the, the key business drivers that uh, necessitated us uh, implementing a new ERP, and then uh, some of the decision drivers around um, some of the decisions along the way, and then also talking about some of the business benefits that we've derived uh, from, from SAP. Um, we went live in February of this year, so we've been live for about, about eight months now. Um, first off, I thought it'd be helpful to provide just a quick overview of Vivint Smart Home. Uh, so Vivint Smart Home is the, the leading smart home services company in North America. Uh, we have about 1.2 million customers currently and growing quickly. Uh, and those are located throughout um, North America, the U.S., and Canada. And uh, we uh, bill our customers monthly for our smart home and security services, and our current uh, annualized uh, monthly billings are about $800 million, and that's growing about 15 to 20% a year. Um, one of the things that is unique with us relative to other companies in the industry is the fact that we really own the customer relationship end-to-end. -end. Uh, we initiate the sale with the customer, we install the equipment, and we service the customer throughout their life cycle. Other companies don't do that. Um, one of the other things that's really a differentiator for us is uh, we have a, uh, a what we call Vivint Sky, which is an artificial intelligence platform. Uh, we, we have over 18 million devices uh, currently installed in these customers' homes. Uh, this includes various sensors, door locks, cameras, control panels, thermostats, things like that. And we've been able to take that and leverage that through our, our artificial intelligence engine to really optimize the smart home uh, experience for the customer to allow them to really, uh, it, it really automates a lot of the activity that would otherwise um, they would have to initiate on their own. Um, and then, so then turning to the, to the next slide, um, talk a little bit about really some of the, the drivers and some of the changes in our business that really precipitated the necessity for a new uh, ERP system. Our, our business has gone through rapid change. 
uh, just as recently as a year ago, we basically operated in, in really in two different sales channels. Uh, we we kind of got our start in a direct-to-home sales model where we send uh, college, usually college students home from for summer break out all over the U.S., about 3,000 of them selling our, our services. And historically, that was usually about three different packages. It was kind of just different flavors of the same thing. And then we had an inside sales organization that was selling the same products, but using inbound and outbound uh, calling and, and web marketing and things of that nature. Uh, well, now, just this year, we announced a relationship with Best Buy where uh, we are doing a co-branding relationship with them where we're going to be selling our smart home services in Best Buy stores. And we're, we've ramped from essentially what was a very small pilot in just a handful of stores at the end of last year to where we'll be in over 400 stores by Black Friday. So, you know, that's a huge ramp, very quick, big change for our business, now being in retail, very different way of interacting with our customers. And then we're also, uh, we, we are, have launched a pilot program called uh, Vivint Smart Properties. And historically, we sold to existing single-family residences. Uh, now with Vivint Smart Properties, we're selling into uh, uh, home builders and multi, multi-dwelling units like apartment complexes. And the challenge there is, historically, it was kind of a one-to-one relationship between the customer and the service we were providing in the billing. Now we have a many-to-one relationship that we have to manage, uh, which creates a lot of operational challenges for us, a lot of logistics issues, a lot of uh, billing issues that we need to address. Uh, We also have a number of new offerings that we've rolled out recently or are in the process of rolling out, uh, various pricing and service models. Uh, The most significant thing was a a program called Vivint FlexPay that we launched early this year, and that really kind of turned the business on its ear completely. Uh, Historically, what we would do is we would sell customers a service contract, generally for for five years, uh, let's say for $60 a month, and we would give the customer the equipment for free, and then they would... uh, and then they would just continue to pay that $60 as long as they were a customer. Now we've broken that up to where the customer enters into a service agreement with us for a lower dollar amount, let's say $39 a month, and then they actually purchase the equipment from us and finance that generally through a third-party financing source. And uh, then we, uh, and then once the, that uh, uh, initial contract is done, they're, they're done paying for that. Very different way of doing business, benefits us because we get the cash up front, but a very different business model. Uh, also, uh, you know, inventory for us is, is a very uh, uh, big, big number for us. There's a lot of activity there. We have about 2,500 different people that have inventory uh, in, in the field. And our legacy systems were very, very challenging when it came to tracking and reconciling our inventory we would have inventory in multiple systems. Uh, we were transacting it generally on a batch basis at the end of the month. So we had very little visibility into what was going on in the business. We were kind of always looking at things through the rearview mirror, which clearly is not optimal for a growing business. Uh, and then uh, our, our company, because of the fact that we have public debt, we are subject to the requirements of Sarbanes-Oxley. 
but we really weren't built, our company wasn't built up to, with public company controls in mind. So most of our controls were very manual, uh, which you know, are time consuming, they're prone to error, uh, and not very scalable. So that was clearly an issue for us. So now I'll turn to talk a little bit about you know, some of the, the key uh, decision drivers for us. Um, if we could go to the next slide. I'm sorry, from the technical perspective also, we had, a, we had a number of other issues as well that we, were dry, uh, we had to address. I, I mentioned the fact that we had um, inventory in multiple different systems. And so we would have these silos of data all over the company that we were having to deal with. And, and you can imagine people would be reporting a metric uh, from uh, you know, one piece of the business would be reporting it out of one data set, another piece out of another data set, and getting different answers, and you can imagine how frustrating that was for management. Um, many of our systems were homegrown, and uh, you know, if you have homegrown systems, you know some of the challenges associated with those. Uh, they're not very scalable. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're difficult to maintain. They're difficult to interface with other systems, and also our systems weren't documented very well, which w was uh, challenging for us as well. Um, so now I want to talk a little bit about some of just the uh, the, the decision drivers here. If we could go to the next slide. Uh, so in terms of you know why making the change, I think it's pretty clear from some of the things I discussed here earlier that our business has just gone through a significant change and our, our existing infrastructure just wasn't going to accommodate the, the needs of the business going forward. But wanted to touch on a couple of the key things that we we're looking at. One was Again, simplification of, of our integration landscape. Uh, it just wasn't going to work to have inventory and, and data in multiple different systems. Uh, kind of like Todd was talking about, we needed to get to where we had a single version of the truth as well. Um, and we knew by doing that we would gain significant operational efficiencies, which would help us to, to manage costs and, and drive scalability as we move forward. Uh, we also wanted to leverage the uh, automated controls that exist within a robust ERP system, and uh, so that would that would allow us the the ability to scale and grow um, over time, and really uh, strengthen our control environment. And then the last item here, I think, is probably the most important one: was gaining that real-time visibility into how the business was doing. Again, not being able, you know, being able to see what was going on real time as it's happening, so that we can make decisions uh, based on actual data as it's occurring. So now I want to talk a little bit about, you know, why why we selected. We actually went with uh, selected us for Hana. Um, so we, you know, ultimately the the decision process for us came down to uh, SAP and Oracle. And I think you can guess by the fact that I'm on this call where where we ended up. Um, but uh, we we did select SAP really because uh, when we looked at their product roadmap, uh, especially on the supply chain management side of things, uh, we we felt that it dovetailed very well with our business requirements uh, going forward. And so we just thought that there was a nice uh, a nice fit there for us. Um, we did. Uh, uh, implement S4. We were kind of an early adopter, as I mentioned. We went live uh, early this year and started our implementation uh, beginning of 2016. Um, 
although we were an early adopter, we are a technology company, so we do embrace change. That wasn't anything that, that scared us too much. Um, but we really did like, one thing that we really, really wanted to leverage with the S4 platform was the fact that they had the standardized best practices, processes, and controls already built into the, the application. They had already been tested and proven out. Uh, we really thought that that would be something that we could leverage to, to reduce the, the risk, the cost, and the time associated with the implementation. And we really found that was the case for us. It, it was very beneficial for us. And then we also wanted to leverage the, um, you know, the in-memory database and the advantages that the, um, the streamlined reporting and uh, data architecture that existed with the HANA platform. Uh, and we have found that definitely r running reports and generating data is much faster than, than it was under the legacy systems. Uh, so now I, I want to talk a little bit about then if, uh, our d decision around um, the, host, the hosting side of, of the decision. Uh, we were looking initially at whether we um, hosted this internally in our own database, uh, data center or whether we utilized a third party. Uh, we ultimately did select uh, the HANA Enterprise Cloud uh, to, to host our, our application. It was a pretty clear uh, decision. It wasn't that difficult of a decision for us, um, given uh, that they had the expertise with S4 HANA. We knew that that was something that would, we would be able to, to benefit from and leverage. But also some of the other considerations for us in looking at that were we have a number of, you know, I think as we've talked about here today, the, the, you know, the importance of the cloud now with, within the finance function. And we have, we definitely utilize a lot of cloud applications. We have Salesforce, Workday, Concur, Calidus, a number of, of cloud solutions. So we're very comfortable with those. And then uh, we knew in looking at it, rather than us having to build out our own infrastructure internally and, uh, and incur all that cost that we knew it would be much more cost effective for us to go with HEC uh, and take advantage of their ability to spread those costs across multiple customers. Uh, and then also uh, the, the, uh, the uh, skill set requirements were also a big uh, uh, factor in the decision as well. Uh, the, you know, we all know the labor market is tight right now, and it's extremely tight here in Utah, and, and it's very tight for these sort of, this sort of expertise, the people we would need to run a data center supporting S4 HANA. And so we, we thought it, the best solution for us was to leverage the fact that HEC already had those resources available. And also, we, we wanted to, the ability to be able to toggle those resources and get flexibility there so that if we were doing uh, an upgrade or implementing a new module, you know, we could put more resources to that project uh, when we need them as opposed to having those people internally and maybe sitting idle or not, not fully utilized when we're not doing an activity like that. And then also, every company has a constrained IT resources. And, you know, you see we have a lot going on in our business. And, you know, rather than having to utilize those resources for kind of more routine, more mundane activities like implementing a patch or something like that, we really wanted to make sure that we could, we could drive those resources towards true value-added activities 
that would uh, drive the business forward, help us achieve our initiatives, and also would be more enriching to the employees that are doing it as well. And then also uh, we uh, knew that by having it on HEC that everything would be taken care of, all the backups, any patches would be taken care of, any updates, things of that nature. And so we that's another thing that we wouldn't have to worry about. And again, that would allow our, our individuals, our resources within the company to focus on the things that were going to drive, drive us forward. Um, so with that, I, I'll talk a little bit about some of the benefits that the businesses derive through our implementation here. Uh, and they really have been significant and, and they, they were immediate. Um, in, in terms of some of the operational benefits that we've seen through the business, uh, touch on a couple of things here. Uh, I mentioned that historically we were doing inventory transactions kind of on a batch basis at the end of the month. Uh, well, now this allows us to do real-time inventory transactions so that we can see the impact of those instantaneously. And, and this is really powerful for us, you know, for example, we can run reports on a daily basis that show our inventory usage by part number, by department, by channel, and we can look and compare that against trends. We can look against um, our, uh, our expectations, and if anything looks out of line, we can research it, and we have the ability to course correct right away, and that, that has real true benefit to the business. Um, one of the other areas that I'll touch on, too, is is the fact that we, we have a inventory or orders that we ship out to our customers on a daily basis, and there's a lot of these. Before, that was a very manual process using multiple systems. Uh, now, today, we're able to do that uh, basically through a touchless process and uh, other than just shipping physically shipping the product itself. So very, very scalable process that we've been able to generate through that. And then also being able to leverage the the... SAP partner ecosystem, which we've already started to take advantage of and are looking to do more of over time. And then we've also generated a number of benefits on the, on the finance side as well. And, you know, really one of the uh, probably the most significant benefits for us is, is our inventory reconciliation process. Uh, historically, our inventory reconciliations took three to four days, best case, um, having to, to munge data from different systems. There was always differences that were very difficult to identify and understand what they related to. Uh, you can imagine it was frustrating for our CFO when we wouldn't be able to fully explain differences. Uh, now our inventory reconciliation process literally takes one to two hours, and uh, it's, it's done within a few hours of uh, uh, the start of our close. So that's been very, very meaningful benefit for us. A couple of other things, too, is, you know, our, our ability to leverage the, the automated controls and the automation of the allocations and distributions that occur within uh, the, um, that are available within the S4 platform. Uh, these are areas where we've just really scratched the surface. We're just starting to, to benefit from those, and we've got a roadmap over time where we're going to continue to roll out more and more of those, and it'll just continue to enhance enhance our control environment and enhance our um, uh, our, our ability to automate uh, some of our activities. And then the last thing is the management reporting. 
uh, S4 has uh, the, the concept of a universal journal, so everything works off of one, one common journal that has multiple attributes associated with it, which is we found to be very powerful. Under our legacy systems, we'd have to do a lot of very manual sort of black box uh, journal entries to allocate costs to the right places and that sort of thing. Now we've got a number of different attributes that we can work off of, and, and it's a much more flexible reporting platform. Uh, and, you know, with the new channels we're entering into and all of the changes in our business, it's very important for us to be able to look at different cuts of the business and to be able to, to do that quickly. And, and that, that's something that S4 has allowed us to do. So, so those, again, are some of the benefits that, that we've derived from, uh, from our S, S4 implementation. Uh, and with that, I'll, I'll turn it back to, uh, I think, back to Ted. Great, Pat. Great, Todd. Um, well said. Uh, so as, uh, as both, uh, you know, as uh, Todd had, I'm sorry, Pat had mentioned, um, you know, part of their transformation uh, included uh, deploying uh, S4 HANA um, on a HANA Enterprise Cloud. Uh, and it's important to understand uh, what HANA Enterprise Cloud is and, and the unique value it delivers, uh, you know, to our customer base. Uh, HANA Enterprise Cloud has been around for uh, almost five years now, and it's the de facto private managed cloud offering uh, from SAP. We all understand that cloud-born cloud business outcomes require, you know, a certain digital foundation. Uh, and for thousands of companies uh, today, that's been uh, SAP HANA uh, and S4 HANA. But deploying um, S SAP in the cloud requires some critical elements and capabilities that really only SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud can provide. Uh, we provide end-to-end -end a service level guarantee, uh, complete IT to application stability. For a lot of our customers, they're looking for a cloud, um, a cloud experience that provides a better level of service and better service level uh, uptime than their on-premise environment. Um, but they also want to do that with them, you know, still in control and still in that driver's seat. And doing that with SLAs where our customers have a full understanding of SAP's capabilities and how we do that uh, is, is very critical to their comfort level in, uh, in moving a, a critical workload like S4 HANA uh, or anything uh, based on HANA into the cloud. And it really comes down to our, our customers, customers requiring the SLA to span the entire application and IT stack, not stop at the hypervisor. At SAP, we guarantee that um, a certain level of uptime will far exceed anybody else in the marketplace. Uh, and with that, we know that our customers will be able to be successful in how they achieve their goals. The second aspect of, of what we deliver is really around um, our unmatched SAP HANA cloud expertise. Um, we give you the confidence um, and, and, and everything that eliminates the risk associated to any HANA-based project, and it's really all because of our depth and breadth of, of deploying uh, HANA-based environments in the cloud. Uh, and this really allows our customers, as I think Pat was mentioning, to allow them to focus on a lot of their core competencies and value-added um, aspects of the business, while we take on the operational day-to-day -day side of managing your HANA, your S4 environment, uh, and that relieves the burden off of the IT staff 
um, again, allowing them to align closer to the business. Uh, ultimately, if you're going to run SAP in the cloud, SAP wrote the manual on how to do it. Uh, in the area of functional application and, and technical support, um, it's, it really comes back to, I, I think Pat had mentioned this around, you know, skill sets. Uh, all of our customers don't have the time or budget to develop or acquire new skills. Um, and these unique sets of services from HEC allow our customers to reduce the complexity, um, unforeseen risks, uh, and really ultimately fast-track their ROI in modernizing their SAP applications. Um, our suite of full managed services provide customers with a full technical and functional support to manage all the daily activities um, while giving our customers the flexibility to uh, request services when needed as needed. It's providing that one-stop solution and ultimate single point of accountability for delivering SAP HANA value. Our cloud architectures, uh, in short, uh, we wrote the book on how you deploy um, HANA-based environments in the cloud. They're future-proof, SLA-driven, and, and allow our customers to keep pace with SAP's release schedule. Um, they represent all of SAP's uh, intellectual property deploying uh, SAP HANA in the cloud. Um, and this becomes your uh, direct line to those writing the, the code line. And as HANA evolves, which it does, uh, HEC will evolve with it in a very linear fashion. So all the same industry and business processes that um, you would look to consume and deploy um, on-premise in your own environment um, can also be um, uh, deployed in HEC. HEC mirrors all those same processes um, and all the same business outcomes are ultimately the same. Uh, we know this becomes a prerequisite for a lot of our customers in any um, private managed cloud model. And it's just one of the example, many examples of how HEC emulates uh, your on-premise business. And then lastly, um, this is really all about how you protect uh, your investment. HEC allows you to tie in other native cloud solutions together. Uh, to reduce complexity as your uh, S4 HANA involvement evolves, uh, which it will. Again, this comes back to how you future-proof your investments today. Uh, this is typically done through leveraging SAP Cloud Platform. It's our open and agile enterprise platform as a service um, with comprehensive application development services and capabilities, uh, ultimately allowing um, our customers to personalize their existing applications or choose from thousands of pre-built applications um, that are, are exist in the SAP Application Center. You, the customer, allow to uh, bring your entire entire IT out, uh, landscape together. Uh, and for instance, getting back to some of the points I made earlier, um, this is one step you can take to how you mobilize your existing SAP or legacy applications. Uh, you get to do this in a matter of weeks or months versus years. Uh, and this all comes back to how you make a connection and improve existing relationships with your, your customer base. Comprehensive, adaptive, and innovative. SAP gives you the tools to innovate in the cloud, achieve those business outcomes that allow you to thrive in the digital age. So in conclusion, um, Joni had mentioned some of these uh, concluding remarks um, for her portion related to Oxford Economics. Um, but uh, relative to SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud, the thing to keep in mind is functional application services uh, will allow you to create um, that environment for, uh, uh, for boosting intellectual capital. 
which helps you redirect your IT resources to other high-value activities uh, and other core capabilities that are focused on, you know, the ultimate corporate strategy. Um, managed services from SAP, uh, HANA Enterprise Cloud, they're fully into, uh, embedded into SAP's overall customer support framework. Uh, this allows you to increase uh, your project confidence uh, while reducing risk, uh, and it really comes back down to our overall philosophy. We want you to be successful um, with the uh, SAP solutions that you're deploying, and our ability to tie that in entire customer support framework together provides another level of confidence uh, and support that's really unmatched in the marketplace. Ultimately, this allows you to, to, to focus on business outcomes, where SAP's focused on um, handling that constant innovation cycle for you. Um, you get to focus on your business um, and, and focusing how, on how you transform your business and let us focus on um, creating that agile and flexi flexible static private managed cloud environment. So with that, we will shift gears over to the uh, Q&A portion of the webinar. Um, so now's the time if you have a chance to submit something in the Q&A segment uh, for either Joni, Todd, Pat, or myself, please do so. Uh, we've got a couple of questions that have already come in, um, and I'll pose this one out to, um, uh, to our team of presenters. Uh, so uh, I understand the business and finance rationale with going to the cloud. Um, what are some of the uh, primary factors that a business should consider uh, when deciding to go either private or public? Um, you know, Pat, I'll start with you on that one, and then we'll ask Todd or Joni to see if they can uh, chime in on that. Yeah, I, well, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it really comes down to um, – for a company, um, what ultimately they're they're looking to get out of the solution, and then I, I think also at, at at some point, if they're thinking about maybe bringing it in house at some point in time, then you know maybe a, doing some sort of a private cloud might make sense. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to the company's decision as to um, you know the platform that they're that they're looking at and. Um, what ultimately they want to do with the software long term. I think, um, you know, in our case, we, we want the private cloud because if, at some point if we grow large enough, it may be a decision that we make where we might uh, look to, to, who knows, to pull that back in-house. I doubt that, but you never know. So. Yep. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it comes down to your own respective business scoping, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and again, it, it – uh, it, 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 it's looking at what the, the business's needs are, what you think your capabilities are going to be over time, uh, and, and what you're really, again, where you want to, where you want to focus your resources. Yep. Todd, anything else you'd, you'd want to add to that? No, I think I would agree with Pat. I think then it also depends on the functionality that's available. And, you know, sometimes we will see customers wanting to go to a private cloud offering if there's certain customizations that they want to put in, um, you know, right now that maybe aren't on the product roadmap or the product roadmap isn't where um, the customer needs to be right now. Great. And, Joni, anything else to, to add? No, I think you guys covered it. Thanks. Excellent. Uh, all right, we've got another question. Uh, Pat, this is for you. Um, mm -hmm. Did Vivid consider hosting um, 
you know, their private cloud option outside of SAP? Uh, yeah, we actually, we did look at, at other, um, other options. Again, we looked at potentially doing it in-house, and then we also looked at other, um, other service providers. Uh, but ultimately, we really came down to, um, uh, I, I think, uh, I touched on a little bit earlier, you know, the fact that we were implementing uh, S4 HANA, uh, and it, it was, we were an early adopter that, uh, we really wanted to make sure that uh, who we were going with was was an organization that had expertise in uh, managing an S4 HANA platform, and and so for us it was a pretty clear decision to go with uh, with the HANA Enterprise Cloud. Great. Uh, and there's a follow-up uh, question related to this. Uh, was there any internal um, friction or or? Um, uh, areas of change management uh, within um, Vivint uh, where they decided were considering or making a strong case for running things on premise uh, or were potentially fearful of, you know, their, you know, their job going away? Uh, you know, it was, there were some folks within our IT organization initially that uh, were, um, I think we're definitely considering or, or, I guess advocates for um, for doing that, uh, and uh, we. Um, but as as we really looked at it and talked through w what it entailed and and the expertise that was required, they pretty quickly came to and and the cost associated with they pretty quickly came to the decision and agreement that it it only made sense for us to um, uh, to utilize a third party. Yep, and 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 uh, were any of of their responsibilities, um, you know, because those were assumed by Hana Enterprise Cloud, um, how are how are those resources now, those individuals now uh, focused? You know, what sorts? Of yeah, that really wasn't. Is? Yeah, in our case, it really wasn't too much of an issue because we really didn't have that expertise in house. We had we had a data center that was managing some of our internal cloud activities. Uh, but they were focused on that, and and that you know that was another driver is we we would have to go out and and get this expertise from uh, you know hire people to do that. So in terms of the the there really wasn't much of an issue with people that were were going to have their their jobs uh, eliminated or or something changing as a result of the decision. Right. So it's it's. It sounds like you didn't have the skill set in house. You got that skill set effectively as a service from Hana Enterprise Cloud, um, and and that allowed you guys to, uh, you know, to to deploy your S4 Hana environment faster than you know you probably could have if you were to to try and uh, train those uh, resources in house and build that skill set. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we would have. Uh... It, it would have been really challenging again because we didn't have that skill set. We would have had to hire those people, um, get them spun up, and uh, it it certainly would have impacted our timeline. And also because of the fact that that S4 HANA was S4 was fairly new, um, finding that skill set in the market would have been a bit of a challenge for us. Okay, I think there may be. Uh, maybe one other question. Um, so, what are the critical business factors that finance leaders should consider when when choosing uh, a partner 
that has a private managed cloud capability. Um, you know, Pat, I'll start with you again because of you know your direct uh, knowledge and expertise of of what you did, and then I'll I'll shift it over to Todd and Joni for for any other additional color. Yeah, I think from my perspective, a couple of things that are really important are again having expertise in the platform that you're that you're implementing. Again, like in this case with the S4 HANA platform is really, really important um, and deep expertise there. Uh, and then also um, making sure that, that you know, the, there's a lot of things that are just kind of basic blocking and tackling, you know, security and controls and things of that nature. But making sure that, that the, you know, your partner is going to have the right resources there available so that when you have an activity coming up in your business that's mission critical, a new implementation, a new a new module, whatever the case might be, that that partner is going to have the resources there to be able to um, uh, available to to meet your timelines and to help you meet your business objectives. Yeah, this right. was actually um, something that that really jumped out in the study, backing up what what Pat just said. So, you know, with this clear proof that we now have that a more um, that a more digitally enabled finance function is more effective what holds companies back from from upgrading their technology um, and we found that far and away the biggest worry was the difficulty of updating technology without disrupting daily activities and many more people cited that than budget or skills or time or executive buy-in or any of a number of other options that we gave them, so um, which just tells us that, that finance, um, the finance people in particular, naturally, they have reporting schedules they have to meet. They can't afford to miss their deadlines, so they have to work with somebody who can, you know, keep the trains running during any great tech upgrade. Yep. I think I would agree with both of those. I mean, it becomes scale and resourcing are the, probably the two primary things that I think people would, should look at when finding a, a provider. Agreed. Agreed. Well, great. If there's nothing else to add, folks, uh, I think we covered all the, the key questions that came in. Uh, we've gone over by a couple of minutes. Uh, for those of you that are on the line, uh, we will be sending out a PDF copy of the presentation. And I would love to uh, to thank again uh, Joni, Todd, and Pat for taking an hour out of their their morning to um, share some of their knowledge and insight with uh, you all here. Thank you so much, everyone, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>